Welcome to the At TSN Hockey Every Other Friday Bobcast, featuring the original hockey insider, Bob McKenzie. Hey, that's me, answering your questions on hockey or just about anything else, within reason, of course. If you have a question you would like answered, email me at bobcast at bellmedia.ca. That's B-O-B-C-A-S-T at bellmedia.ca. And we'll try to get it on the Bobcast. We were a blowout of wicked proportions. An accidental company. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Season 3, Episode Number 7 of the At TSN Hockey Bobcast. This one for Friday, December 21st. 2018. Well, it's the pre-Christmas edition of the Bobcast, or maybe post-Hanukkah, or pre-Kwanzaa, or if you're a pagan, and uh, trust me, I am well familiar with the pagans, it's Yalda, or the winter solstice edition of the Bobcast. And of course, if you're a fan of Seinfeld, it's a pre-Festivus edition of the Bobcast. Festivus, for those that don't know, is on December 23rd, so by my count, that's Sunday, I have a gym session scheduled for that day, so that allows me to maybe get up in the morning, complain about going to the gym, and that would satisfy the airing of the grievances tenet of Festivus, and then head off to the gym where I can accomplish the feats of strength. So works for me. Uh, whatever you celebrate, uh, whenever you celebrate it, wherever you celebrate it, um, be sure to have a happy, healthy celebration uh, spent with your friends and your family. And of course, Maybe most importantly, this is the pre-World Junior Championship edition of the Bobcast, and there's lots more to come on the World Juniors, lots of questions in that regard, so stick around, not too far off. This is also the first day of winter edition of the Bobcast, if that's the case, and I know it is. Uh, then I guess we had a pretty shitty fall. <laughs> I mean, October fall is really good. It leaves turn color, it's nice, it's fresh. November and December fall, not so much. I think we had more snow in November than we've had in December, but um, I do digress a little with the weather reports. It's also the darkest day of the year edition of the Bobcast, which on the bright side, and I mean that literally, every day after this one gets a little brighter. So hopefully today's Bobcast will bring a little brightness to your day, and if not, well, it's not like you paid for this. It's a gift from me. This being December 21st, it also happens to be my mom's birthday. So even though my mom passed away, what, almost 26 years ago, happy birthday, mom. Now, I don't have occasion to talk about my mom all that much, especially since she's been gone for so long. But if you don't mind, I'd like to take a couple of minutes on that front. My mom's name was Catherine Maureen McKenzie. And <laughs> like all moms, she was a great mom. And she really taught me so much about life in the, the all-too-short 36 years that um, we spent together. And I, I did write a little something about my mom in my book, Hockey Dad. So maybe to celebrate what would have been my mom's 86th birthday today, I'll do a quick little reading from my book. I was an only child, which some might say explains a lot, but that was only because my mom was afflicted with severe rheumatoid arthritis when I was only one year old. Having any more children for her was simply out of the question. Now, I don't know how much you know about rheumatoid arthritis, but it's a vicious, debilitating, crippling, incredibly painful disease that attacks the joints and causes swelling, intense pain, and often disfigurement. I would estimate that my mom had surgery on at least 15 to 20 occasions, 
and pretty much every joint in her body was red, swollen, and or severely disfigured. She was, every minute of every day I knew her, racked with pain. Yet for a good many years, she still managed to drive herself to a full-time job. She eventually ended up in a wheelchair for the last 14 years of her life, and quite suddenly, really, died of complications from this dreaded disease at the age of 59 in 1992. My mom loved hockey, too. Her brother, George Rowan, was a decent player back in the day. She used to watch it as a young girl, and I was home with my mom watching it when Paul Henderson scored the goal on September 28, 1972. My mom was sharp, smart, and well-organized. She did not suffer fools and was never afraid to speak her mind. She had enough experience with doctors to know there are good ones and there are bad ones, and you better figure out which one is treating you, that you don't automatically accept what they say without at least questioning them or challenging them. And as tough as she was on so many levels, she was an incredibly loving mother who always put her only son first. She never complained about her lot in life, she never had any pity parties, and if anyone ever had a right or a reason to feel like they got a raw deal, it was her. And what I learned from her, aside from everything, was this. You don't waste time feeling sorry for yourself because everyone has a sad story. So there you have it. That was my mom. Happy birthday, mom. And on that sad story thing, I can tell you from personal experience, if I ever complained about everything, she'd just say, ah, everyone's got a sad story. And basically told me to shut the hell up, soldier on. And uh, she used to always say, onward and upward. And onward and upward into this Bobcast we go. So let's get into today's Bobcast and let's kick it off with a lot of World Junior themed questions. First World Junior question comes from Brad Brown and it's a kind of a music daily double type question here. Hi Bob, I'll start with a quick confession that after almost 30 years of watching TSN on a more or less daily basis, I only realized last winter that TSN uses the same theme music for the World Junior Hockey Championships as it does for the Scotties Tournament of Hearts and the Briar. This winter, that realization got me to wondering a little more about that piece of music. In a broad sense, what's the history behind that song? More specifically, who wrote it? Does it have a name? When did it debut? Was it originally intended for hockey or curling? Has it ever been heard on other TSN broadcasts? And does TSN own the rights? Or is there a chance the CBC could someday purchase the rights as payback for TSN acquiring the hockey song all those years ago? Hope to hear your response in a future Bobcast. Keep up the great work and come visit us in Saskatchewan again sometime, eh? That from Brad. And the song that Brad is talking about is this one. Well, Brad, I wish I had more answers to some of your questions, but I do have some of them. Now, the first thing I should point out is that I, too, had heard the curling theme before and thought, boy, yeah, that sounds the same as the, the, the World Junior music. But it's not. At least that's what TSN tells me. Because I, I specifically asked Jamie Bauer at TSN, who's in charge of these things, are those two songs the same? And he said, no, they are different. So they're very similar, but they are different. And um, if I'm not mistaken, the, the World Junior song also gets used for the World Championships and all our international hockey that we do on TSN, which is uh, multitudinous, if that's even such a word. But in any case, um, that song for me is an absolute trigger. 
and it, it, it obviously triggers the holiday season like it does for a lot of people. But for me specifically, it often triggers very fe- early feelings of being up very early in the morning because when the tournament's in Europe and James Duthie and myself do the studio part of that show from TSN, we don't go to Europe uh, anymore with the tournament. We stay at TSN. Because of the time difference, we're often up at 4, 5, 6 in the morning doing games. And when that music kicks in for the beginning of the, the pregame show for a game, oftentimes it's 5 or 6 in the morning Eastern time. So I always feel very sleepy and have memories of being up very early in the morning, which I usually don't get up too early. And uh, that's the first thing it triggers. The other trigger, of course, is when we're on site at the World Juniors, as we will be this year in uh, Vancouver, starting on uh, December 26th. It just triggers uh, James Duffy, Puffy, the quiz master, TSN quiz master, myself, uh, getting set for a long day, but a fun day of really great hockey at the World Junior Championship, multiple games, and just the whole buzz around that. And and knowing that there's so many people in Canada that hear that song and right away feel all warm and fuzzy about it because it signifies family time, uh, World Junior time, and TSN time, and Bobby Mack and, and Jimmy time. <laughs> Uh, so anyways, looking forward to the World Juniors. That's great. Now, that song, of course, is the, the theme music for the World Junior Championships. But this is another song that acts like a trigger. Hit it, Mulls. It's the most wonderful time of the year. With the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you that too is a very cool song and and that one of course is the trigger for kicking off the world juniors because that's the, the basically the theme song for our world junior preview show that always runs on christmas eve christmas day but we actually tape it on Christmas Eve morning, usually very early. So again, trigger for me is I'm up early working. I don't like this. <laughs> but anyways, this year is unique. Um, the last pre-tournament game for Canada is in Vancouver on Sunday night. So 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. local time in Vancouver Sunday night. Now normally we go home after the last pre-tournament game, get up very early on Christmas Eve morning, come in, you know, come in at like 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, we start taping it, we're done by 9 or 10, and off we go for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and, and what have you. But this year, because the uh, game's being played in Vancouver at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern, it won't be over till 12.30 a.m. on the 24th, then um, we're just going to stick around and, and pull sort of a quasi-overnight. So probably by 2 or 3 in the morning Eastern time, we should be finished taping the preview show. And we'll get to go home, bag some sleep, and then have a fun Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and then uh, Christmas for me. It's, uh, I know James is getting into Vancouver early. He leaves Christmas Eve to go to Vancouver. I'm flying into Vancouver on Christmas night. So um, that, uh, those songs are great. And the, the preview song, uh, the, the preview show theme song, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Um, that's, uh, that's a cool song to uh, Brings back lots of great memories and kicks off the whole season. So uh, 
there you go. Musical interlude to uh, get us started on the World Junior Front. Got the rare double question from the same person here. Uh, Steve Johnson from Oshawa, Ontario, uh, sent a, a, an email to the Bobcast on November 21st. Hi, Bob. Thank you for taking the time to record your Bobcast. Great to hear your perspective on several different topics around the game we love. Speaking of the game we love, with World Juniors almost a month away, is there any input you could provide into what you think the Team Canada roster could look like? Do you believe any potential players could be loaned for the tournament? Robert Thomas, Michael Rasmussen, or Maxime Comtois? Do you expect to see Alexei Lafreniere make the team? Gabe Velarde, what are your thoughts on Canada's chances and what other teams look exceptionally strong other than the USA and Jack Hughes? Thank you. Always like to hear your input on junior hockey. So lots of good questions there, some of which have become a moot point. No Robert Thomas, no Michael Rasmussen. Yes, Maxime Comtois uh, is on the team, of course. Uh, do I expect to see Alexei Lafreniere make the team? Yes, he made it. Gabe Velarde, no. He was injured. He couldn't. So uh, those ones self-explanatory. But Steve Johnson followed that up with a December 9th email that says, Hi, Bob, thank you for taking the time to provide your thoughts on the invitees to the camp for the World Juniors and your weak attempt at singing. A for effort. That's, of course, where I said, It's the most wonderful time of the year. Oh, that is terrible singing. Don't do that ever again. Um, And he said, I understand you'll be at the camp starting December 11th. Yes, I was. Would you be able to provide your thoughts on any other countries participating, some players to watch for, and your early thoughts on favorites to win, also, your thoughts on Canada going back-to-back. Thanks for your contribution to junior hockey. Keep up the amazing work. Looking forward to another great tournament. Thanks, Steve from Oshawa. All right, let's get into this because there's lots of info, lots of things to talk about. Let's talk Team Canada first. Uh, they had the pre-tournament game the other night. They beat the Swiss, started strong, finished weak. Um, 5-3 win. Uh, let's start with the goaltending. Uh, Mikey DiPietro, three goals, 17 shots the other night. Just so-so effort by him. Ian Scott gets the start tonight against Slovakia. Uh, I've gone over this a million times. Mikey DiPietro's junior hockey career resume is unparalleled. And on that basis, he could easily be the number one goalie for the team. But quite frankly, his numbers this year, as good as they are, aren't as good as Ian Scott's have been with the Prince Albert Raiders in the Western Hockey League. So maybe this is an opportunity for Scott tonight to uh, put a wall up. And if he does, uh, give head coach Tim Hunter something to think about and who gets the opening day start. Hunter said that uh, he'll give each of these guys a start in these first two pre-tournament games and then decide how to handle Sunday's game against Finland. And of course, where we're at on opening game, the opening day game on December 26th, Um, you know, could be either guy uh whoever starts on december 26th this might be a year where they could go back and forth or they you know whoever gets to start on the 26th isn't guaranteed to to make it the whole way there um we will see on that front on the defense um you know noah dobson and evan bouchard to me look like the two big guys on the blue line but i think uh ty smith um, could be a big factor for Team Canada, as long as well as Ian Mitchell. Uh, Dobson, Bouchard, and Mitchell are the three rights, although I noticed in that first pre-tournament game they were playing a lot of the rights on a left to try and get a handle on, on who plays best on their offside. Josh Brook, the, the Montreal Canadian pick from Moose Jaw, um, was the right shot that was designated as the left to kind of start things going into these pre-tournament games. Um, but he and Jared McIsaac kind of got lit up on one of those Swiss goals, so I'll be curious to see uh, 
um, how they mix and match the defensemen on Team Canada. I said it before, I'll say it again. Lots of offense from this blue line. The question that remains to be answered is whether or not uh, defensively, they're uh, how good they are without the puck in their own end. Uh, up front, um, the first pre-tournament game indicated that Max Comtois, Cody Glass, and Owen Tippett are expected to be uh, the number one offensive line. They were really good in that game against Switzerland. Uh, mind you, I still think even though they dominated offensively, they had some puck management issues against the Swiss that, Swiss that they're going to need to tighten up on. But uh, Comtois was a wrecking ball out there, both in terms of, well, two goals, including an empty netter, two assists, and multiple big hits. So um, he's he's really going to impose his will on this tournament as a returning player, the only returning player for Team Canada. Um, I was really impressed with how Glass, Cody Glass drove play for that line. Um, it's going to be interesting for me. The, the one of the question marks is to see how this second line comes together. Initially, it was uh, Alex Formanton, Nick Suzuki, and Brett Leeson, and then Formanton, of course, injured his knee in uh, in the evaluation camp and is out of the tournament. Uh, and he was effectively replaced by Jared Anderson Dolan, who's coming off the broken wrist. We haven't seen Anderson Dolan. Um, well, we saw him in the pre-tournament game. Uh, looked fine on the left wing. He's getting better and better. No reason to believe he won't be 100% healthy. And he kind of, to a, to a degree, duplicates what Formington brings, speed, energy, um, and might even have a little more offensive upside than Formington. Nevertheless, they will miss Formington on this team. Um, they're going to try Anderson Dolan in the middle a little bit once he's strong enough to take some face-offs and maybe move Suzuki to the wing, a position he plays quite often in Owen Sound. Um, Lafreniere, um, the, the kid, was... Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about Lafreniere later. There's a question about him, so I won't go into too much detail there. Leeson uh, blocked a shot in the last um, game against U Sports um, and isn't 100% healthy right now, but they say he's going to be fine for the tournament and he's going to need to be to generate some more offense from that second line. Um, Morgan Frost, Barrett Hayton, Jack Stadnika looks like a real good third line, two-way third line. Hayton and Stadnika are really good two-way players. They can create offense, but they're good defensively. Frost, not as good defensively, but really good offensively. So a um, lot to like about that line. And even the fourth line with uh, Joe Valeno, Shane Bowers, and Mackenzie Entwistle is also a line that will provide energy and defensive awareness, but also those guys, each of them, have the ability to put the puck in the net and create some offense. So um, offense should be a balanced attack, but uh, and we'll have to see where, um, with Leeson coming back, does Lafreniere become the 13th forward, and if so, how long does he stay in that role? So there's your quick Team Canada rundown. I never get into predictions. Uh, I just know this. When Canada plays on home ice, they generally fare very well. They, all, they always win a medal, um, and uh, I wouldn't say... Not even half the time do they win gold, but that's still a, a pretty good track record on home ice. I think the pressure of playing at home is good pressure, not bad pressure for Team Canada. So uh, there's your Team Canada rundown. I believe on an earlier edition of the Bobcast when I did the deep dive into uh, Team Canada uh, prior to their uh, final evaluation camp, I said I, I would do a deeper dive on Team USA before the tournament started. So let's do that 
for Team USA. Um, I think Team USA, one of their strengths is going to be strengths down the middle. And everybody obviously talks immediately about Jack Hughes, um, who is potentially the number one offensive center on Team USA. And, of course, he's projected to be the clear number one pick in this year's draft. Really special offensive talent, uh, no doubt about that. Um, But beyond Hughes, um, with Ryan Paling, the Montreal Canadian, uh, was he a first-round pick? I think he was. Hold on. Let me double-check the notes. One second here. I've got to do a little research on the fly. Yes. First-round pick, 25th overall in 2017 from St. Cloud State University. Uh, Ryan Paling plays center there. Uh, I figured with he, Hughes, uh, Josh Norris, the San Jose Shark first-rounder, who's now property of the Ottawa Senators, uh, I thought with those three centers, and uh, in particular with Paling and Norris being returnees, that um, this, they would have tremendous strength down the middle, and they do. But what I'm led to believe is it's not out of the question that Paling is actually going to move to the left side and play the wing, potentially, on a line with Josh Norris. So how might Team USA, who are in the final process of making their final cuts, they're supposed to announce uh, Mike Hastings, the head coach there, is uh, going to announce their final cuts on Sunday, December 23rd. So who might play with Hughes? Well, I think... Um, Oliver Wallstrom, the uh, first-round pick of the New York Islanders, who, of course, plays at Boston College. Uh, Or Jason Robertson, first-round pick. uh, Was he first or second? Wait a second. I get all confused now. Robertson, no, second-round pick of the Dallas Stars for Jason Robertson, who was recently traded from the Kingston Frontenacs to the Niagara Ice Dogs. Uh, One of those goal-scoring wingers, Wallstrom or Robertson, is likely to line up on the right side with Jack Hughes. Uh, as to who could be on the left, it could be a couple of Philadelphia Flyer prospects. Um, that would be Joel Farabee, Philadelphia Flyer first rounder from uh, 2018, or Noah Cates, Philadelphia's fifth rounder from the 2017 draft, who plays at the University of Minnesota Duluth. So Farabee or Cates on the left side with Hughes, maybe Wallstrom Robertson on the right side. In any case, that'll be a speedy, talented, and skilled line that can score some goals. If Paling does move from the middle of the ice to the left side, as I said, he could line up with Norris. And um, they've, they've really liked the way that Tyler Madden, the son of former NHLer Johnny Madden, is playing. He's a Vancouver Canuck third-round pick who plays at Northeastern University. So that's a potential line, Paling, Norris, and Madden left to right. Um, my, my understanding is that Evan Barrett, uh, who plays at Penn State, draft pick, third-round pick of the Chicago Blackhawks, could also play in the middle, um, and as well as Sasha Chmielewski, who plays for the Ottawa 67s, a real smart and skilled and, and good offensive player in the OHL, but somebody who can also play a 200-foot game. So whether they go Paling, Hughes, Norris, and Barrett, or Paling, Hughes, Norris, and Chmielewski, or they decide to play Paling on the wing, in which case it would be Hughes, Norris, Barrett, and Chmielewski, uh, lots of strength down the middle of the ice and some good goal-scoring wingers with Wallstrom and, and Robertson. So uh, this team has, has got some real good offensive potential. Uh, one of the strengths of Team USA should be also on the blue line because they're returning three players from last year's team. 
That would be uh, Quinn Hughes, of course, the Vancouver Canuck first rounder. And I know Canuck fans and everybody in the lower mainland in Vancouver is really excited to, to see Quinn Hughes uh, since he is a draft pick of the, the Vancouver Canucks. So he's a returnee, as well as the, uh, the pairing, uh, the University of Minnesota Duluth pairing of Dylan Sandberg on the left side, Sandberg, a Winnipeg prospect, uh, and Mikey Anderson, who's a left shot, right side playing uh, member of the University of Minnesota Duluth as well. And Mikey Anderson, of course, is the LA King fourth round pick. So with three returnees there, as well as Keandre Miller, uh, the New York Rangers first round pick from 2018, 22nd overall, who plays at uh, Wisconsin. Um, I, I think those four guys, um, well, the three returnees are all locks to be there. I think Keandre Miller will make the team. And then after that, there'll be plenty of uh, competition uh, on the blue line. Um, you've got uh, Matias Samuelson, uh, Buffalo second round pick from Western Michigan. Uh, you've got uh, Phil Kemp, the Edmonton prospect from Yale. Um, Ty Emerson, who plays at uh, Wisconsin, the Arizona prospect. So lots of other uh, guys to pick from for uh, head coach Mike Hastings on that front. As for the goaltenders, uh, they're still trying to sort that out. But uh, Kyle Kaiser, who's been very good for the Oshawa Generals this year, um, has a chance to be the number one guy. Uh, I think he's getting the, the next full pre-tournament game for the, uh, the Americans to see what, uh, what he can do. Uh, and then it's a matter of whether uh, Spencer Knight, who's uh, a potential first-round pick in this year's NHL draft, plays for the U.S. Under-18 team, um, with Spencer Knight or Caden Primo. And if the Primo name sounds familiar, of course, it's because it's Keith Primo's son. Um, but uh, Primo and Spencer battling it out um, for the spot. The Americans, unlike Team Canada, um, I believe keep all three goaltenders with them. So all three guys are going to be there. It's just a matter. And, and you're allowed to use all three guys too. It's not just a situation where one of the guys has to be knocked out of the tournament for the third guy to get in. I think you can access all three goalies, if I remember correctly. Canada generally sends their third goalie home, and they did in the case of Matt Vilalta. And if something were to happen, um, they get uh, an emergency replacement. They can bring him back in if something were to happen with DiPietro or Scott. So there you have it, Team USA. They play all their games in Victoria. Um, just about all the games in Victoria are pretty much sold out for this tournament. So uh, very exciting times for Team USA. And how they stack up against the rest of the field? Well, as I always like to say, I hate handicapping this tournament because you're you're really just looking at teams that have only ever played together on paper. Um, you try and size up how many 19-year-olds a team has. You try to size up how many first-round picks a team has. You try to size up how many returning players a team has. You look back at how this 19-year-old uh, class for the various countries performed at under 18s, under 17s, Five Nations Cup, um, under 18 World Championships in the spring, the Ivan Halinka, you, you name it. So there's a lot of different ways you can kind of blend it all together. But I always end up saying the same thing. There's always four, at least four teams that can win this thing. Um, Canada is always a co-favorite to win it, especially on home ice. Uh, nothing worse than a co-favorite to win it on home ice. Uh, the Americans will be very strong, and they've got the Jack Hughes factor going in terms of 
uh, the excitement that he's going to bring to every game because of what it means for the draft um, and him being a special player. But the Russians are very good this year. The Finns are good but could have been very great if they had all their players available to them. You never count the Swedes out, and we'll go over some of these Euro rosters in a few minutes. Uh, and this is even a year where uh, the, the Czechs could uh, could be sneaky good and dangerous because they've got some real good shooters um, up. But uh, generally speaking, the, the, the four teams, Canada, the U.S., Russia, Sweden, um, and, well, five teams actually, and Finland, every one of those teams is always a legitimate gold medal threat going into every tournament. Let, let's drill down a little bit on a couple of those or a few of those rosters. I would expect the Russians to be very, very good. Um, lots of offensive ability on this team. And of course, they're in the same grouping as Canada. And this year's New Year's Eve game in Vancouver features Canada versus Russia, which isn't Canada, USA, but it's pretty damn good nevertheless. And the Russians had a tremendous year in the uh, 2018 NHL draft. And many of the guys that were uh, selected in that 2018 draft are going to form the offensive core of this hockey team. Start with, uh, uh, let's see here, one second. Let me look at my list. Vitaly Kravtsov, the uh, New York Rangers, ninth overall pick in 2018. Um, he's certainly going to be a big factor. Grigory Denisenko, uh, 15th overall by Florida in the 2018 draft. Um, those two guys... Uh, have tremendous offensive ability, and I think they were skating on the same line in uh, in in training camp. But uh, as I say, the Russians haven't finalized their roster yet and the, their combinations and what have you. So we won't go too much on lines or whatever, but Kravstov and Denisenko, in my mind, would be two really impressive offensive players uh, to keep an eye on. Of course, there's uh, returnee Klim Kostin, the St. Louis Blue uh, first-round pick. Uh, who's in his second season in San Antonio in the uh, the American Hockey League. Um, he'll have a much bigger role on this team. Uh, and then you've got, uh, let's see, uh, Ivan Morozov, the Vegas Golden Knight second round uh, pick from 2018. Uh, you've got Alexander Hovinov, who plays for the Moncton Wildcats. He's the third round pick of the Minnesota Wild in 2018. Um who else have we got here that's uh, jumping off the page at me? Oh, yeah, there he is. Carol Marchenko, Columbus Blue Jackets second-round pick in 2018. So there's plenty of offensive firepower, albeit a lot of them uh, 18-year-olds as opposed to 19-year-olds in this year's, uh, in this year's uh, Russian national junior team. And on defense, you've got uh, the Washington Capitol first-rounder, Alexander Alexiev, plays in Red Deer for the last three seasons. 31st overall in 2018, uh, Dmitry Samarukov from the uh, from the Guelph Storm, who's uh, in his final year of junior eligibility and an Edmonton Oiler prospect that was taken in the third round of 2017. And and the coach, Valerie Bragan, is back for another year. That's always fun. Um, so you never know what to make of the Russians, but they certainly have uh, on paper a team that looks to me like they're a force to be reckoned with. Um, let's talk about the Finns for a moment here because I think they're a really interesting team. Um, they're always competitive. They, they play so hard and they've got uh, so much skill. Um, and good news that they got defenseman Henry Yokoharju 
from the Chicago Blackhawks on loan. Um, of course, they're not getting Miro Heiskanen from the Dallas Stars. Um, boy, oh boy. Uh, imagine how good they would be if they had Heiskanen on the blue line. And up front, it's the same sort of story. There's some really good players. Alexei Haponiemi, the Florida prospect who played uh, in the Western Hockey League, but is now playing back in Europe. Um, Rasmus Kapari, uh, the LA King first rounder. Um, so yeah, they've, they've got some great players. The Finns do up front, but, uh, oh, I should also mention Capo Caco, who's a potential top three, top five draft pick, uh, in this year's draft. So they've got great young players, but imagine how much better they'd be if Jesperi Kotkaniemi from Montreal Canadiens were made available or Eli Tolvanen from the Nashville Predators or Christian Veselainen, the Winnipeg Jet first rounder, who's now playing in Yokerit in the KHL and turned down an opportunity to play on uh, on Team Finland. In any case, the, the Finns are always going to be a handful, but they'd be that much better if they had Heiskanen, Tolvanen, Kotkaniemi, and Veselainen in their lineup. The Swedes, who lost to Canada in the gold medal game last year, are always a tough out, and they're going to be a, a very good team, and... I think the strength of their team is very much on the blue line. Uh, mobile puck handling. Wow. Imagine that. Mobile puck handling blue liners from Sweden. What a novel concept. But you've got Eric Brandstrom, who's been released from the Chicago Wolves uh, of the American Hockey League, the, the Vegas Golden Knight first rounder. You've got uh, Rasmus Sandin, the Toronto Marlies, uh, Toronto Maple Leaf first rounder. And you've got Adam Boquist, the Chicago Blackhawk first rounder, who plays for the London Knights. Um, they would have had Timothy Lilgergren from the Toronto Marlies, another uh, Toronto first-rounder from a couple of years ago, but he's got the high ankle sprain and not available. But even with Brandstrom, uh, Sandine, and Boquist, that's a really mobile puck-handling blue line. And uh, they've, they've obviously got some, uh, some good players up front as well, but uh, Sweden could be a force in this tournament, along with uh, the Finns, the Russians, Canada, and the USA. I mentioned the Czechs earlier, um, you know, some real good offensive players on this Czech team, and they'd be that much better if they're getting Philip Hedl from the New York Rangers, but I don't believe that they are. Um, Martin Cott, I think, is coming over from Colorado. I'm not 100% positive on that, but I think the general rule of thumb is if, if these guys are playing in the American Hockey League, they get released for the tournament. That's what the Charlotte Checkers and the Carolina Hurricanes did with Martin Nikash. And, of course, uh, the Detroit Red Wings did it with Philip Zadina. Um, so with Zadina and Nikash up front, uh, head coach Vaclav Varada. There's a name from Blast from the Past. Vaclav Varada um, uh, with the Czechs. So the, they've got some guys that can put the puck in the net. And uh, they, they, could, they could play giant killer. I always say of the Czechs, not deep enough as a rule to be a gold medal contender, but uh, more than talented to derail somebody who thinks they're a gold medal contender. Well, I hope that passes for what amounts to a Bobcast World Junior preview. I know it's a little sketchy, but you know what? The teams are all still a little sketchy until you get out there and uh, see. Oh, wait a second. Before I forget, Vasily Pod Colson's been added to the Russian team. He was lights out at the World uh, Junior A Challenge, um, World Hockey Challenge, whatever they call it. But uh, in any case... He's a top three, potential top three, potential top five pick in this year's draft. So it's always curious to see where the younger players on the Russian team get slotted. 
in terms of whether they get a primetime role or even if they're on the team. But uh, Pod Colson's a good one for this year's draft, and he's another offensive weapon that the Russians may have at their disposal for this year's World Junior Championship. In any case, there's your World Junior preview with the Vasily Pod Colson footnote. Next question comes from Anthony in Montreal. Hi, Bob. Love the Bobcast. I think you're doing a fantastic job. I know you've been considering changing the format, but add me to the list of listeners who love it the way it is. Anyway, on to my question. I was recently in Ramouski for work and hear multiple people talking about young Alexei Lafreniere. Realistically, how good do you think he can be? What kind of impact do you think he can have? Assuming he gets drafted first overall, he'd be the first Quebec-born player to be drafted first overall since Marc-Andre Fleur, Fleury in 2003. Anyways, I know it's more than one question, but I think this kid will be a stud. Keep up the great work, and thank you. No, thank you, Anthony from Montreal, for the question. Of course, Anthony's question came in in late October, but it's topical now because Alexei Lafreniere, of course, the 17-year-old has been named to Canada's World Junior Team. And as I mentioned earlier, um, he might be the 13th forward uh, when this tournament starts. Hard to say. We'll have to, if Brett Leeson is healthy and comes back on the second line, Lafreniere could get bumped, Lafreniere could get bumped down uh, to the 13th forward. But lots of guys that start as the 13th forward uh, move their way up the lineup. He was definitely on the bubble at the evaluation camp last week. And when... When it was still a possibility that Gabriel Velarde was going to be on the team, in fact, Lafreniere was brought Lafreniere was brought in and told, you're the 14th guy on a 13-man rotation, which is to suggest that if Velarde's okay, you're going home. And Velarde wasn't okay, um, and so Lafreniere is with the thir- it was with Team Canada now as one of their 13 forwards. I do laugh a little bit at people on Twitter, though. So when when they named the 14 players, and and then Tim Hunter said, there's one guy on the team we've told, he's the 14th guy, and if everybody's healthy, he's going home, and he knows it. And I speculated, because I knew, but I speculated that it would be Lafreniere. <laughs> there were people on Twitter saying, you don't know what you're talking about, Lafreniere's that good. There's a difference between what people want to have happen and that's what you know. That's the way they view it. They want Lafreniere to be on the team, so they don't allow that he was going. He was going to be the guy that was going to get cut if Filardi was healthy. I don't care who's on the team one way or the other. So when I tweet, my understanding is he's the 14th guy. He's the 14th guy. Don't argue with me. But in any case, um, I like to see Lafreniere on the team because I'm a big fan of skill. He's got speed. He's got skill. He's a little bit young, um, but I think these young players, especially guys who are projected to be number one in the 2020 draft, I think they find a way to do special things. And if you look at it this way, he's actually the same age as Jack Hughes. So Jack Hughes is draft eligible this year. Lafreniere is not draft eligible until 2020. And the reason for that is because Lafreniere's birthday is after September 15th. So he's a late birth date, hence the 2020 draft status. But he's actually the same age as Jack Hughes. And if you were going to match them on a level playing field, Hughes would go number one this year and Lafreniere would go number two, I would imagine. Um, But maybe that's even interesting. Maybe a question for the scouts, and it'll be fascinating to see how it plays out at the World Juniors this year, is if Alexei Lafreniere were eligible this year and we get a chance to see Hughes and we get a chance to see Capo Caco and we get a chance to see Vasily Podkolzin, where would he where would he fit in the slotting 
for this year's draft. To write a note to myself to remind me to ask the NHL scouts that during the World Junior. But anyways, I love Lafreniere's game. Uh, he's put up tremendous numbers in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. And as for that 2020 draft, um, courtesy of Craig Button, here are here's his projections ahead, his rankings for the 2020 draft. He's got Alexei Lafreniere at number one. He's got Quinton Byfield of the Sudbury Wolves at number two. Byfield, big, strong, center, six foot three and a half, 213 pounds, putting up some nice numbers in Sudbury. Um, Lucas Raymond, uh, right winger, uh, Swedish uh, right winger, um, is number three. Justin Barron from Halifax, a defenseman from the Halifax Mooseheads in the QMJHL, is number four on Craig's list for the 2020 draft. And the number five guy is Alexander Holtz, uh, a left winger from Sweden. Uh, so two Swedes, Raymond and Holtz, um, are perceived to be challengers to Lafreniere for the number one spot, as well as uh, Quinton Byfield, uh, the big center out of Sudbury, and Justin Barron, the defenseman out of Halifax. Uh, number six on uh, Craig's list for 2020 is Jamie Drysdale, plays for the Erie Otters. Man, I saw this kid play minor midget for the Marlies uh, at the Whitby Silverstick tournament a couple of years ago, and boy, can he ever skate. It's fun to watch a mobile puck handling offensive defenseman like Jamie Drysdale. So there's your 2020 uh, snapshot as it relates to Lafreniere and the guys that come after him in that draft. Next World Junior question comes from Shane. He says, my question is related to you meeting fans around the rink. I was able to go to the World Juniors in Buffalo last year, and I saw yourself along with James Duffy, Jerry D. That'd be Jerry Donahue. And many other people I grew up watching on TV, I'm sure all of you are inundated with people looking to stop and chat or take a picture. Is this something that is generally welcomed? Or what protocol would you suggest for people wanting to stop by? By the way, I really enjoyed your book, Everyday Hockey Heroes, and continue to enjoy the podcast. Thanks very much. That from Shane Buckley. Well, thanks very much, Shane, for the compliments on Everyday Hockey Heroes. Uh, Quick uh, commercial to tell everybody it's almost Christmas, but you still have time to run out to Chapters Indigo, Costco, Walmart, whatever your bookstore of choice is, and buy Everyday Hockey Heroes for you and every member of your family. Um, so go do it. Thank you. And uh, yeah, so anyways, as for um, last year at the World Juniors in Buffalo, our set location, TSN set location, was actually on the concourse that overlooks the ice but up where all the private suites were. And so the public was right there. And yeah, between periods, uh, as soon as we finished intermissions and before the game would start, uh, restart, um, we had a steady stream of people coming through, getting pictures, uh, having saying hi. And that's cool. We, we have no problem with that. Um, as long as it's not during the game. We're trying to watch the game, and a lot of people want pictures taken, but if it's during the game, i kind of got to watch the game. It's important. But, uh, yeah, before, after the game, um, during intermissions when we're not on or getting ready to go on and the game's not on, um, we took literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pictures with fans in Buffalo last year. Happy to do that this year, although I believe our set in Rogers Arena in Vancouver, Rogers Place in Vancouver, uh, is probably in in an actual private box, so we might not be in a public area per se, um, but uh, nevertheless, if you see me in Vancouver, uh, stop by, say hello, get a picture, 
Um, we always enjoy interacting with the uh, with the public. So thanks, Shane, for that one. Okay, um, next question. This one comes from Zach. Hi, Bob. I'm a Leafs fan in Minnesota, but my question is about the World Junior Tournament hosted in Grand Forks, North Dakota. In 2005, I was 12 years old, and my dad got tickets for the World Junior for my brother and I. Being so young, I had no idea about the amount of talent playing that weekend, but looking back now at all the NHL rosters, at all the rosters, they all become NHL stars. Do you have anything you remember from this tournament? Where does this tournament rank in terms of talent? Thanks for taking the time. Go Leafs, go. Go Sue. Okay, that from uh, Zach. Uh, the Grand Forks tournament was fantastic. And, of course, that was the famous 1985 birth year. So that would be your Alexander Ovechkin and uh, everybody from the 2003 draft that we talked about on previous Bobcasts. Uh, of course, everybody knows that Canada won the gold. Uh, they beat up on Ovechkin in that game, uh, separated his shoulder or what have you, and uh, just so much fantastic talent. So I think all of that stuff speaks for itself. But it's funny the things that jump out as your memory. So the very first thing that Zach asked about was my memories from the World Junior Tournament. And what I remember is that was probably the last time that I uh, played any uh, decent shinny hockey or any hockey at all. Um, we uh, we oftentimes get the ice at these events on an off night. And our, uh, our major domo producer extraordinaire, Paul Graham, uh, loves to get uh, the TSN group to, together to play. And we invite people from far and wide to come and play with us. And on that particular night um, at the Ralph in Grand Forks, we had a very spirited shinny game that night. And uh, the two goalies were uh, Billy Dodson, our great producer at TSN, at one end of the ice, and Gino Retta. Yes, Gino Retta of That's Hockey fame, uh, and who was hosting the uh, the off-ice and the pregame show panels with me. Um, and what that, that, that game of Shinny was famous for was Gino going to make sort of a Dominic Hasek-like save and tearing his rotator cuff. I mean, literally, tore his rotator cuff trying to make a save in a Shinny game with the TSN people. So uh, <laughs> he was ailing for weeks after that, couldn't lift his shoulder over his head. And uh, that was memorable for all the wrong reasons for Gino. And I, what I also remember about that Shinny game was that Pete DeBoer, Pete DeBoer, now the head coach of the San Jose Sharks, who was an assistant coach with Brent Sutter that year on Canada's World Junior Team, uh, Pistol Pete was playing with us, and uh, he was dazzling out there. And... Uh, I had a lot of fun playing in that game. And like I say, that was probably the last time I played any decent shinny at all. Next question up comes from Lucas Denny. Hey, Mr. McKenzie. Hello from beautiful Columbus, Ohio. My question is regarding the World Juniors and the selection process for the sites for the tournament. I understand Canada, the United States, and our European fans rotate hosting the World Junior with the True North True North hosting more frequently, but I am curious as to the process which determines which cities in the host nation is actually chosen. Are there public bids put together by cities looking to host the tournament and then a vote amongst the board members similar to an Olympic site selection? 
or are the cities chosen by the IIHF in consultation with the Host Nations Hockey Federation? I would love to know more about the process specifically for the U.S. cities because I know it's a major pipe dream. I would love to see my city, Columbus, host the World Junior Championship in the future. I know we aren't a major hockey hotbed, but we have two beautiful facilities that could host a nationwide arena and the Schottenstein Center where the Ohio State, the Ohio State University hockey team plays with more ice on its way by new of a hockey only facility that Ohio State is in the process of building that will likely seat between four and 6,000. I know we aren't a hockey hotbed like Buffalo, Boston, or Grand Forks, but the city's a rabid sports town and still only a three to seven hour drive from most of the GTA in Southwest Ontario. Thanks for taking the time to read my question and in continuing this podcast for the third season from Columbus with love, Lucas Denny. Uh, Great question, Lucas. So let me try to answer some of these questions for you. Okay, the World Junior was in Buffalo last year. In terms of how USA Hockey arrived at Buffalo, um, they put it out for bid. And uh, they had five five regions or cities that bid on it. Those teams that bidded, those cities that bid, included St. Louis, Missouri, Tampa Bay, Florida, Buffalo, Chicago, and a joint entry from Pittsburgh and Erie, Pennsylvania. And they, after the five bids came in, they narrowed it down to three. So it was St. Louis, Buffalo, and Pittsburgh slash Erie. Buffalo ended up winning out. Um, I'm not sure in retrospect it ended up being the best choice simply because the Southern Ontario market uh, that Buffalo would rely on for Canadian crossover visitors had been saturated with World Juniors in 2015 and 2017 in Toronto and Montreal. Um, And Buffalo had hosted the World Juniors uh, prior to that. So the attendance suffered as a result. I believe St. Louis was probably perceived to be the runner-up to uh, Buffalo for last year's World Juniors. And uh, um, as I say, from afar... I know Gord Miller and myself and Ray Ferraro and James Duthie were looking at that Tampa Bay and saying, that's not too shabby. We could handle Tampa Bay. Let's let's get these World Juniors to a warm weather climate. And our, our best chance for that, of course, is when it's held in the United States. I should point out the next time the U.S. hosts the World Junior Championship is 2025. Um, they're probably going to release in 2021 what the bid process would look like. And in 2022, they'll probably ask for bids and uh, try to make a uh, uh, at least two years before, if not three years before the 2025 World Juniors, they'll try to identify um, where that might be. Would Columbus be a good choice? I'd have no problems with Columbus. You know, maybe you could pair it with Columbus and Toledo. Toledo's not that far up the road. They've got a good secondary, uh, smaller center, and that's generally the way they like to do things. You'd mentioned Grand Forks before, and our previous uh, email was asking about that Grand Forks. I would guess that a place like Grand Forks has probably, uh, the, the World Juniors has outgrown Grand Forks. I know people in Grand Forks won't like me to, won't like to hear me say that, but I think that would be the perception in terms of the cities that are bidding and that they'll get more and more NHL cities like Chicago and Pittsburgh and Tampa Bay and St. Louis. Um, and listen, uh, you know, Seattle's going to be in the NHL. What about Seattle and Everett? 
junior hockey city and an NHL city as a potential for 2025. What about our Vegas Golden Knights? I like it. World Juniors in Vegas? I, I doubt it, but hey, you never know. Anyways, uh, more and more opportunities for American hosts. And, uh, of course, should quickly point out that uh, the World Juniors, of course, are in Canada in 2019. They're going to be in Edmonton and Red Deer in 2021. By way of comparison, Hockey Canada did not put out bids for the 2021 World Juniors. They identified Edmonton as the city they wanted to go to. They negotiated and they made the Edmonton Red Deer pairing happen there. Uh, Canada will also host World Juniors in 2023, 2026, 2028, and 2031. And I suspect because Edmonton was chosen by Hockey Canada in 2021, they're likely to put the 2023 World Juniors out to a bid process um, all across Canada. Final World Junior-related question comes from Brian in Calgary. Hey, Bob. Question about the World Junior Tournament and other age-defining tournaments in general. Sometimes when my nephew's baseball team were entering tournaments, we had to provide some form of certification to prove how old the kids are. Do international tournaments have some sort of requisites for age? Is there a way for a country to say a kid is younger than they actually are in order to play at age-appropriate tournaments? Do Hockey Canada and their brethren around the world have to submit something in regards to age? Love the pod and always look forward to every other week. Brian from Calgary. Well, Brian, it's really elementary. Uh, the International Ice Hockey Federation basically uses passports and or birth certificates, but primarily passports as the uh, currency for determining age. So let me put it this way. If somebody wanted to pull a fast one, and make a 25-year-old eligible for the the World Juniors. Um, that would have had to be done a long time ago. And listen, I, we always hear the stories of, of these things when the Little League World Series is going on. And even in, in sometimes, I mean, who was it? It was, uh, uh, was it Mikel Gregorenko, uh, the, uh, the first-round pick of the Buffalo Sabres who played for the Quebec Ramparts. Um, for the longest time, everybody was was convinced that this guy was way older than he said he was and, and what have you. I don't know how stories like that get started. It's probably not fair to Grigorenko or anybody else. And I suppose it's conceivable that in especially in in some of the European countries where there's less record keeping or whatever, that somebody could ultimately end up with a birth certificate that belies their actual age. And that birth certificate is used to obtain a passport. Um, you know, there has been age fraud questions in various competitions around the world. But from the purposes of the, uh, the IIHF, it's very simple. Show us your passport. Whatever age is on your passport, that's what it is. And away we go. And by the way, quick update for you. Mikhail Grigorenko, now listed as 24 years old, oh, <laughs> May 16th, 1994, Hockey DB Elite Prospects. That's his birth date. Leave the poor guy alone. By the way, 12 goals, 34 points in 35 games for CSKA Moscow in the KHL. So Mikhail Grigorenko, um, by the way, we were not suggesting. Uh, Bobcast is not casting aspersions 
on the age of Mikhail Grigorenko, only casting aspersions on those people who cast aspersions on the age of Mikhail Gregorenko. All right, you know what time it is? It's Untuck It time. So first off, I'd like to wish a very Merry Christmas, Happy New Year um, to all the good folks at Untuck It who are kind enough to support the Bobcast um, with these ads. Um, terrific to have you on board. And um, yeah, so maybe I'll, as soon as the Bobcast is over, I'm going to run out to Sherway Gardens in Etobicoke here in Toronto and hit the uh, Canadian retail store of Untuck It. And, uh, and it's a casual shirt that it's not too long and it's not too short. And they are a go-to, Untuck It shirts are, for any occasion, from casual to dressy, with more than 50 sizing options. Every guy, even me, can find the perfect shirt. So go to untuckit.com and check out the all-new fall arrivals and winter arrivals. Now, this is important. Use the promo code BOBCAST, B-O-B-C-A-S-T, for 20% off your order. And as I said, visit Untuckit at their brand new first Canadian retail store in Sherway Gardens or shop online anywhere. And as they say at Untuckit, stop hiding your shirt with your pants in your pants with your shirt. Untuckit.com. Use promo code BOBCAST, B-O-B-C-A-S-T, and get 20% off. Thanks again to our good friends at Untuck It. All right, let's get to some listener feedback. And boy, we've got some outstanding um, feedback on uh, a lot of recent stuff that uh, went down on previous Bobcasts. First one comes from Sean. Hi, Bob. I just wanted to send you a, quote, brief message of gratitude. We met once in Vancouver as you were arriving for the 2010 Olympics. I asked you about Jeff Carter and Ryan Getzlaff because there was an injury I can't remember to which player now. And there was speculation the other guy might find his way into the lineup. Anyway, you were gracious with your time, and I appreciate it, since it probably happens all the time with fans such as myself. What I wanted to comment on is the intention behind your work. I've listened to the pod since its inception and followed your coverage for as long as I can remember. I've heard you say you don't want to politicize your hockey coverage, yet the way you have entered into the more serious issues of hockey i.e. domestic violence most recently, but also diversity in hockey as it's related to growth in the game. By focusing on them in your work, increasingly, as it seems, is a life lesson for the like-minded. It may not be at the pace that listener Ryan wants you to wade in. I know I have felt at times when I've sensed that you could say something more on an issue and probably would if we met again in an airport. However, given... The wide spectrum of political and social views represented across your audience, I recognize that how one says how one says things matter, and that keeping everyone at the table listening so that the conversation can continue is just as important or even more important than perhaps any one hill one decides is worth dying on. At the same time, I do hold folks like you to a higher standard because of the big platform and reach. It is entirely out of luck and privilege that you can even say, I don't want to make this political. People such as newcomers to Canada who don't look like you and I don't get to look like you and I don't get to avoid issues like social exclusion and racism on the street. Women who experience domestic violence don't get to arbitrarily take a pass day to day. We can, bracket, take a pass. 
if we aren't intentional in our work. So I, for one, am glad you chose to opt in. And when you cover the more serious issues in hockey, which I hope you continue to do, I like it when you promote the voices best suited to facilitating further discussion of those issues. Example, Katie Strang. As an aside, one week on The Athletic, Katie Strang had no less than three articles tackling the toughest issues in sport, any one of which eclipsed the gravitas of all the other writers in my feed combined. Promoting these voices is asking the audience to perhaps consider an alternate perspective, and as I mentioned earlier, I think in the long term that's a good way to go. As Canadians that have benefited from the same laws and policies that work to exclude others, people like you and I are ultimately responsible in helping to point out those structures and work towards dismantling them for the betterment of all, even if that means your voice or my voice is heard less. The last piece about voice is a tough one for some people, but I think probably not for you because you come across as a guy who's totally up for listening and walks with lots of humility. Anyways, keep up the great work in this regard. Maybe it's your impending retirement. Maybe it's Dr. Blasey Ford's inspired show of strength. Maybe it's your personal sense of what's right and what's not right in the world. Or maybe it's all of the above and more combined. Whatever the cause for the intention behind your work, I appreciate it. And then a little asterisk from Sean Laheed in North Bay that says, I guess that wasn't brief regards. It wasn't brief, Sean, but it was extremely well thought out. And I really do appreciate it. And as I've said from the get go, um, I don't mind asking and answering questions, hard questions, and people may or may not like the answers. But I also don't want to turn a hockey, mostly hockey podcast, uh, and one that tries to be fairly lighthearted and have some fun. Um, into something that's so serious and drives people away because as I always like to say people love me to weigh in on the social issues as long as I agree with them the minute that I don't agree with them and you you touched on this in your letter Sean they tend to push themselves away from the table and I'm not sure that uh, just because we disagree that uh People should be pushing themselves away from the table, but it happens. And uh, so we try to be inclusive uh, for everybody. And uh, that's what we'll continue to do. Uh, Follow-up letter here from Bruce Kerr. Bob, just discovered the Bobcast this year, and I'm really enjoying your insightful comments. While neither I nor any of my family has personally experienced domestic abuse, I was pleased that you tackled this subject and so eloquently expressed how everyone needs, in hockey terms, to up his game. As I listened, I could not help but think that everyone, not just Bobcast listeners, to hear that message, well done. Uh, I thought if I was going to write to you, I would take this opportunity to share my favorite hockey story. Unlike tens of thousands who falsely claim to have been in Maple Leaf Gardens on the night the Leafs last won the Stanley Cup, I was actually there. My father was a vice president of a life insurance company, and the company president, one Major General Bruce Matthews, sat on the executive board of Maple Leaf Gardens. The Major was a war buddy of Con Smythe, and that no doubt led to his appointment to the board. As a board member, Bruce Matthews had four seats right behind the Leaf bench, about six rows up. But he had no interest in hockey, not ever attending a Leaf game, even when the Stanley Cup was on the line. As a vice president of that firm, my father would often ask Matthew's secretary if anyone was using the tickets that night. If not, I would come home from school to find out that I was going to a game that night. Now, back in the 60s, if you sat in the Reds, now platinum seats, you had to wear, you wore a jacket and tie. Everything was so proper. I was under strict instructions that I could applaud and cheer, but I could never boo. The fact that the Archdiocese of Toronto had seats right behind us no doubt played into that. 
But for that final game in 1967, the demand for seats within the company was so high that more were obtained and we ended up sitting a few rows back right behind the leaf net. Two things about that game stand out. Before the game, Bobby Hull walked past us in a short sleeve shirt. Boy, was he ripped. I'd never seen anyone with arms like that. But most importantly, when Clarence Campbell came out to present the cup, being far from the regular seats behind the leaf bench, I was allowed to boo. No one liked Clarence Campbell. That's all I remember about the game. This was the fourth time in six years the Leafs had won the cup, so I just expected more to come. If I'd known that I'd be waiting this long, I would have paid more attention to the game. Thanks again for the great insights you provide. Awaiting the reprise in Toronto, that from Bruce Kerr. Uh, the old days, I, I love those pictures from the 60s where they show everybody in the, uh, the seats at Maple Leaf Gardens and virtually everybody's wearing a shirt and tie. The ladies were dressed to the nines. The men were wearing fedoras. A different time, for sure. Um, the glory days for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And uh, as a kid who grew up in the 60s in Toronto, I enjoyed reading that letter on behalf of Bruce Kerr. Before we move on to some more lighthearted fare for listener feedback, um, Netflix stuff, <laughs> um, one final note on the, the serious issue of uh, domestic abuse and what we talked about in episode six. Um, it, was, it was brought to our attention by, by a letter from Ryan Wicks, um, who was very concerned about it and wanted my thoughts on Austin Watson, the National Hockey League, and, and the whole issue. And it was a very uh, well-thought-out uh, request by Ryan. And um, I did, uh, you know, criticize Ryan a little bit for the manner in which he reacted when he thought his letter wasn't going to be answered on the Bobcast. Um, and then I got some listener feedback from people who didn't like the way that Ryan um, criticized me. So they criticized Ryan in, in such a fashion that was every bit as bad as the way Ryan criticized me for not the perception that he wasn't getting his, his question answered. That's not the way things are supposed to work. If I'm telling Ryan he needs to dial it down a notch, I'm telling a lot of people who said bad things about Ryan, they need to dial it down a notch. Um, name calling and, and, and shaming and going after people. We don't, need, we don't need to do that. Not here anywhere. Just try to be kind, be nice, especially at this time of the year, but, but always. And the second point, and maybe this is the most important one, is that I, I, I had a very um, eloquent string on Twitter that uh, somebody wrote to me. And uh, there were a couple of other people who emailed but didn't want their letters made public on the Bobcast. And they thought that maybe I was trying to make myself the victim and that by criticizing the manner in which Ryan reacted to not having his letter answered, that you know I was saying, hey, listen, try not to use abusive language that I was, I was portraying myself as a victim. Not at all. The last thing in the world I am is a victim. Never suggested that just simply asking for civil discourse as opposed to name calling. And, and that's that. And it's a serious issue. And um, I hope we did the best that we answered it. And if people thought that my answer fell short or wasn't good enough and they want to criticize me for that, that's perfectly within their right. And, uh, and I understand what an emotional issue it is and how deeply it affects so many people. So anyways, moving on from that, thanks to everybody who took part in that dialogue. And I'm sure over the course of time, there'll be that issue and other serious issues um, that we will try to address. But now we'll move on to not very serious issues. And uh, here we go. 
Subject line on this email, Netflix tidbit from Russell. Hi, Bob. This isn't a question, but rather a quick tidbit of info that may help your Netflix viewing experience. If you have an Apple TV, and I do, there's a great little feature that lets you automatically rewind sections of shows that you may not have heard properly or understood. All you have to do is hold down the microphone button and say, what did he or she say? And the show will replay the last 10 seconds or so with subtitles on and then automatically turn them off when you're caught back up. I thought that this might be a useful tool for you when watching shows like Shetland, which, as you mentioned, can be a bit tough to understand on occasion. Thanks for doing the Bobcats. It's always a pleasure to listen on a bi-weekly basis. Have a happy holiday from Russell Prouse. Well, that's a great suggestion. But you know what? I don't think I've got my... Uh, I do have Apple TV, and I just don't think I've got it set up for the voice command. I've had, in a, At the cottage... Every so often I hit a button on my converter and the, the TV will say to me, what would you like to set up? And I'm like, get out of here. I don't want to talk to you right now. But I, I really should take the time to be more tech savvy, figure that out and say, what did he or she say? We should have that on the Bobcast. What the hell did he just say? And it would rewind and give you subtitles. <laughs> I love it. Okay, next one. Uh, good morning from an English Avs fan drinking Canadian coffee in Brazil. Okay, this is from Michael. Hi, Bob. I've recently started listening to your podcast, and I'm loving it. As the subject title alluded to, I'm in Brazil, outskirts of Rio de Janeiro, to be precise. But I'm an Englishman married to a Brazilian. I guess I don't sound like your usual listener, and I'm definitely being a bit of a mixed bag here with my nationality and location. To further mix up things... I discovered my love of hockey while whilst working for a Polish TV channel in England. They used to show the NHL around that time that Marius Tchaikovsky and uh, Christoph Oliwa were in the league, and I got hooked. got hooked. I just finished listening to your most recent episode with a cup of Tim Hortons. I was converted years ago by an old workmate from Victoria, and it got me thinking. Which Viking from the TV show Vikings would you put in the NHL, and what kind of role would he have to balance things out? Which NHLer would you turn into a Viking? Also a big fan of Outlander, as is my wife, and if you ever get a chance to visit Scotland, make sure to go and visit the castles that they shoot at. You'd love it. We did that a couple of years back, and it's a great way to spend a few days. I've rambled on enough. Many thanks for the Bobcast and your insider views. Warmest regards from a wannabe Canadian, Michael Broomfield. Holy mackerel. So let me get this straight. Michael lives in Brazil. He's an Englishman. He's married to a Brazilian. He discovered his love of hockey while working for a Polish TV channel in England. He drinks Tim Horton's coffee because he used to work with a guy from Victoria. And he loves Outlander. And he's visited Scotland and the castles that go there. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Okay, quick answers. Which Viking from the TV show would you put in the NHL? Well, I don't know. I guess, you know, if it's old-time if it's old-time Floki, Floki could play in the old-time NHL. He was a killer. Um and he'd make a mean boat. He be Floki would be like Stan Makita. That is he started off as the dirtiest, meanest guy around. Um but then he be, went on to be a Lady Bing winner and uh and Floki is in a weird place right now. That's all I'm going to say about that. As for, uh, it's more fun to figure out which NHL players would make great Vikings. Patrick Laine looks like he could walk, although he shaved, I think. If he hadn't shaved, Patrick Laine could walk 
out of the Winnipeg Jet dressing room and onto the set of Vikings, and he'd he'd do just fine. Um, I think Tom Wilson would make a pretty good Viking. I think uh, you could just take the whole San Jose Shark team, and you know Brent Burns, Joe Thornton, uh, they could walk onto the set of Vikings right now, no makeup, no nothing. Uh, Eric Carlson, ditto. You know, not the biggest guy in the world, but not all those Vikings were huge. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I would say Burns, Carlson, and Thornton. Um, so my uh, my memo to the Take 5 Productions Company um, and the good folks over there who I've gotten to know a little bit, um, let's get let's get uh, Patrick Line, Tom Wilson, Brent Burns, Eric Carlson, and Joe Thornton on Vikings. Next up from Josh in Montreal via Vancouver. Hi, Bob. Listening to your talk about Viking-based historical dramas this past Bobcast made me wonder if you'd given Norseman a shot on Netflix. It's a Norwegian show that I guess you could almost call a parody of shows like Vikings and The Last Kingdom, but is hilarious in its own right. If you haven't, I would highly recommend it if you ever get a little tired of the more serious historical dramas or just need a good show. Love the show, Josh, from Montreal via Vancouver. And in answer to your question, Josh, yes, I clicked on Norseman and I started watching it thinking that it was going to be just like Vikings or just like The Last Kingdom. And then I saw very quickly that it was a parody and I just didn't like it. And so I immediately gonged it. And so I guess the motto of the story is don't make fun of Vikings. Don't make fun of The Last Kingdom. I'm far too serious for that nonsense. And there you go. So, But I will tell you this, a quick pre-Christmas recommendation. I crushed one full season, and there's only one on there, of Nightfall. So Nightfall is about the Templar Knights, and it's a medieval, and it's the Holy Grail, and it's lots of battles, and the King of France, and murder, intrigue, and stuff. I really enjoyed it. I highly recommend Nightfall, and that's with a K. Getting closer to the end of the Bobcast here, but we're not there yet, so stick around. Um, what would be a, a Christmas uh, edition of the Bobcast if not for a little wine talk? So this one comes from Craig. Hi, Bob. I am a Bobcast listener and also follow you on Twitter and Instagram. I'm not a wine drinker, but my wife enjoys a glass now and then. I usually get her a bottle for Christmas and her birthday. And for the last little while on your recommendation, I've been getting her the show. Do you have another recommendation in that price range under $25 so I can mix it up this year? It has to be readily available at the LCBO. And the LCBO, of course, for those who don't know, is the Liquor Control Board of Ontario. Thanks from Craig. Well, Craig, I can tell you this. I had a fantastic Chianti Classico Reservo last night, $22.95. It is Castello di Gabbiano. That's C-A-S-T-E-L-L-O, new word, D-I, new word, G-A-B-B-I-A-N-O. Um, it was fantastic. It's got the black rooster on it. That's how you know it's a true Chianti Classico Reservo, Reserva. Uh, you mentioned the show. I always tell people the show, California Cab, um, is a great under $20 bottle of wine. So I'll stay with that. Um I also picked up a bottle. I've had this before. Uh, it's the Farnito, F-A-R-N-I-T-O, Cabernet Sauvignon, Italian wine, twenty-eight ninety-five. Uh, I would suggest if you get that, it needs to be decanted for an hour or two. Uh, it's very good. Um, but so here's what we'll do. 
So the under 20 recommendation sticks the show. It's a, it's, it's a good California cab, straightforward. A lot of people seem to like it. And uh, I'll stay with that as my go-to under $20 wine. Uh, if you're looking for something a little more expensive, and you said under 25, this one's 26.95, and you can readily get this at any LCBO. Um, it's the Zenato. That's Z-E-N-A-T-O. Rapassa. R-I-P-A-S-S-A. Not O. A. Zenata. Zenato Rapassa. 26.95 is an outstanding bottle of wine and I hardly recommend it. And I'm onto Italian wines in a big, big way. And I've always, uh, even before I got into the Itai wines for many years now, the last four or five years, this has been a go-to. Uh, and the price used to be twenty-two ninety-five or something like that. Now twenty-six ninety-five. I know you asked for under 25, but uh, spend the extra dollar ninety-five on your lovely wife and treat her to a bottle of Zanato. Rapasa, it's very good. And for those who want to go a little something more expensive, your under $40 bottle, go for the Chateau Neuf de Pop, a little French wine. Uh, you can get the mass-produced Famille Perrin. That's uh, Family Perrin, P-E-R-R-I-N, $38.95 at any LCBO, also readily available in vintages at most of the LCBOs in Ontario. So there's an under 40 an under 30 and an under 20 for anybody who's going out and doing a little pre-Christmas wine shopping. Enjoy. Oh, by the way, some uh, late-breaking news here, hockey news here that corrects something that I talked about earlier. Really good news for Team Finland at the World Junior Championship. Nashville is releasing Eli Tolvanen, and Boston is releasing Erho Vakanainen. So they just got an elite goal scorer and a really good defenseman um, to their cause. So no Kotkaniemi, uh, no, no Christian Veselainen, as I said, and no Miro Heiskinen. But boy, oh boy, uh, Tolvanen could just tear this tournament apart. He's that good a goal scorer when he's against his peer group. And Vakanainen will certainly help on the blue line along with Henry Yokoharju. So great news for the Finns who play the Americans on New Year's Eve. And... Um, yeah, so that's the latest, greatest information we've got on the World Juniors. I know it's a festive time of year, um, and so I, I kind of hate to end the Bobcast on a more somber note, but um, I got this letter from Leslie Erasmus in Terrace, British Columbia. I got it on November 23rd, and uh, I just want to read it to you and follow up here with something. Uh, this is from Leslie. I just wish to tell you about a wonderful 30-year-old hockey player who last Sunday, November 18th, 2018, was found dead by the side of the road here in Terrace, British Columbia. He was the victim of a hit and run and was left to die on the side of the road. He was identified by his brother, another hockey player, and was only steps away from his parents' home. This tragedy has hit our community with the force of a hurricane. We were proud to be a Hockeyville town, and we are one of the most wonderful communities in the northwest of British Columbia. But who, who could do this to a much-loved young man and wonderful family? The news article can be found in the Terrace Standard and on Facebook for authenticity. Cameron Kerr is his name, and hockey was his game. He, he was 
remembered last night at a recreation league game, tomorrow at another hockey game, and a memorial service will be held Sunday just a week after being found because so many people have rushed back to Terrace to support the family and be here to wonder how this could happen to one of our own. Please find it in your hearts to honour our fallen hockey player and support our grieving community with your kind thoughts and prayers. That from Leslie Erasmus. Um, Thank you for uh, the, the note, Leslie and to everybody in Terrace, British Columbia, but especially uh, the family of Cameron Kerr. Um, there's no words that we can put together here for you. Um, and and it's interesting. Um, I just checked online, and th- this story is still front and center in the news. Um, this is a story that was online from Global News um, that was put up uh, on December 20th, so yesterday. Um, the family of a terrorist man killed in a hit-and-run last month is pleading with the driver responsible to, quote, do the right thing. 30-year-old Cameron Kerr was walking along the shoulder of Highway 16 early in the morning of Sunday, November 18th, when he was hit by a vehicle about four kilometers west of the community. Here's a quote here from, uh, from uh, Cameron's brother, Garrett. A month has passed since Cameron's death, and our family continues to grieve his loss. We are asking the driver responsible to please come forward and admit what you have done. Anyone who has information about my brother's death, please contact the police. Cameron was a kind, caring human being who had a passion for hunting the outdoors and sports, and he was taken from us far too soon. Uh, That's the end quote. Uh, in this global news story, it says in a media release, RPA, RCMP Sergeant Sean McLaughlin said police believe people who know the driver have key information about the case and appealed for them to come forward. The scope of this case extends well beyond the local area and the people with information may be from the lower mainland where investigators are ready to speak with you, Sergeant Sean McLaughlin said. Days after Kerr was killed, police seized several vehicles and boats on Haida Gwaii, including a Ford F-350 with damage consistent with the collision that had killed Kerr. They also questioned seven people, and on November 21st said police were confident they have identified the suspect driver responsible for this fatal crash, who is from the lower mainland area. Earlier this month, police also released a photo of a silver pickup truck towing a boat and asked anyone who had seen it in the early hours of November 18th to contact RCMP. The RCMP's criminal collision investigation team continues to investigate, and anyone with information is asked to contact Sergeant McLaughlin with West Pacific Region Traffic Services at 250-638-7438. That's 250-638-7438 or contact Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477. That's 1-800-222-84700 if they wish to remain anonymous. So just a, a terrible tragedy and a terrible crime on every level that took the life of Cameron Kerr and, and his grieving family. So, um, yeah, if anybody can help out on that front. and And that brings us to... One more uh, bit of just terrible news for our TSN family, and that is the passing of Jonathan Gale Weston, better known to us at TSN and Sportsnet, where he worked for many years as Johnny Gale. Um, and uh, 
it was last week when I was in Victoria that uh, we heard the news, that uh, the terrible news, that um, John Gale, um, who works in a variety, of, who worked in a variety of aspects at TSN, um, he was on the Jay and Dan show, uh, worked uh, in the, the social media department, bar down, um, did a lot of things and was just getting ready to do some on-air additions to try and be a sports net, a, a sports center anchor. Um, he was the the victim of the 93rd homicide in Toronto while driving down Islington. Uh, multiple gunshot wounds and his car crashed into a tree and uh, the Metro, Poli- Metro Toronto Police Toronto Police Services are still trying to find out um, what possibly may have been the motivation for this crime because nobody can imagine that uh, our TSN family member, John Gale, uh, could do anything. Um, He was a really happy-go-lucky kid, 29 years old. Um, Everybody just loved him to pieces, as they did where he worked at Sportsnet. And uh, just a huge loss for our TSN family, but obviously more important for John Gale's family. And I know today, Friday, December 21st, is the visitation here not too far from uh, my house and, and John Gale's celebration of life will take place on Saturday, December 22nd um, in Oshawa, Ontario. So um, as I said, um, I really don't like to end the pre-Christmas edition, festive time of the season. But you know what? what? More than anything, this time of the year for me, personally, and I think for most people, it's a family time of the year. And so for the, um, the Kerr family in Terrace, British Columbia, and the, uh, the Gale family, the Gale West family um, in Oshawa and elsewhere, um, our thoughts and prayers and, uh, are, are with you guys. And uh, yeah, so uh, I know it kind of feels weird to say Merry Christmas after all of that, but it's a, it's a reminder to all of us um, if you are healthy and happy and you've got your family close by, uh, give them all an extra hug. And uh, the best of the season to everybody. Enjoy it, and uh, I look forward to talking to you next time from Vancouver, Site of the World Juniors, in Episode 8 of the Bobcast on uh, Friday, January the 4th. Uh, all the best, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and uh, take care. Okay, that's it for the At TSN Hockey Every Other Friday Bobcast. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like to submit a question on hockey or just about anything else, email it to bobcast at bellmedia.ca. That's B-O-B-C-A-S-T at bellmedia.ca, and we'll try to get it on the next Bobcast. Be sure to follow me on Twitter. That's At TSN Bob McKenzie. And for great hockey coverage all year round, follow the At TSN Hockey Twitter account 
and make tsn.ca your source for all things hockey, especially for the Tuesday and Thursday editions of Insider Trading with myself, Darren Dreger, and Pierre Lebrun. Thanks for tuning into the Bobcast. See you next time, and have a great weekend.